My name is Morgan, and I'm going to tell you some of my Thanksgiving jokes. What does a turkey not like about Thanksgiving? The answer is he gets gobbled up. Knock, knock. Who's there? Pumpkin. Pumpkin who? The answer is yummy, yummy pumpkin pie. <laughs> this is a fact. What are two foods that we don't eat on Thanksgiving? Hmm. The answer is popcorn and lobster. <laughs> what is a turkey's favorite show? The answer is Dancing with a Turkey. Wow. Those are great jokes, Morgan. Do you think you'll do that when you're older? Be a professional joke writer, maybe? Maybe a comedian? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Would you open for me? Okay. Yeah? What would we call our tour? Mm, jokes. Just call it jokes? And riddles. Jokes and riddles. Hey, yum's the word, haven't you heard? The yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people, too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and at the top, you heard my seven-year-old niece, Morgan, sharing some of her jokes and facts. Now, I would like to point out that I did not encourage her to write these, I swear. She came up with this all on her own, and what she wrote them on was so, so cute and clever. Basically, what she did was she took a blank piece of paper and stuck bright pink Post-it notes all over it, she wrote the setup of the joke on the post-it, the front of the post-it, and then she lifted up to reveal the punchline, or in her case, the answer, underneath on the blank piece of paper. You can check out a really cute picture of that on our Instagram at Yum's the Word Show. I'm excited to see what else Morgan comes up with this year. Speaking of this year, Happy New Year, Alex. Happy New Year, Robin. Thanks. Do you set New Year's resolutions usually? Uh, you know, I don't. What I do, I do like two-week goals because I, oh. I, I feel like resolutions are, you're setting yourself up for, for failure. Yeah. So just to like plan like what you're going to do over 365 days. Yeah. It's but a lot of pressure. Two weeks is super manageable. Totally. So what are, what's your two-week goal? Um... <laughs> Probably the same as like everyone's New Year's resolution. Get to the gym more, like yeah. <laughs> accomplish like career goals. You know. Right, right. <laughs> Good. What about you? Um, New Year's resolution. I I don't uh, generally do that. I usually pick like some kind of a theme. Mm -hmm. um, and this year I have two themes because I just couldn't decide. And uh, one is let it go. And I've had some examples of that uh, already come up where I've been tested. Which was one was I came home. Uh, after the holidays and my refrigerator was off completely so it's like oh. you have no choice like you have to let all this yeah. go uh, so I was like noted um, and then the other one is uh, speak up speak up yep speak up let nice. it go nice. yeah so I generally try to pick themes um, so since this is a new year well one of my other I wouldn't even call it a resolution I just really want to get my screenplay done screenplay yeah about my uh, Learmobile experience nice yeah it's a, it's a really great story. 
You heard it here first. Actually, you may have heard it a few years ago when I did the solo show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to finishing that for sure. Uh, and also keeping up my... Uh, I declared my independence from Swedish Fish on July 4th. Whoa. And so far, so great. And I will tell you, actually, I, when I went to the dentist tonight... I was like, wow, that was a lot easier than it usually is. And I explained to her that I had given it up. And she's like, oh, yeah, that stuff sticks to your teeth so much. It's really hard to uh, clean that off. And yeah. I was like, yeah, but I still eat like chocolate and other stuff. She's like, yeah, but gummy stuff is the worst. So if you're addicted to gummy stuff and you're having trouble at the dentist, may I recommend declaring your independence? Those, those from little gummies. Swedish fish are addictive. Oh. I, I get that is a struggle. It was hard. Yeah, those little it was hard. are like crack. Yeah, I don't even like the red ones. I eat them in an order of flavor I like. <laughs> I did it like Roy G. Biff style. I did that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I like red, I definitely hate cherry, but still ate them. Then orange was my least, next least favorite. And then I do love lemon, I do love lime. Lime was my favorite. Like after I did that like push-up challenge, I was like, I need a new challenge. And it was 4th of July. And I was like, I'm going to declare my independence from Swedish Fish. There it is. And today is January 5th, and that's been six months. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've cut, I've cut stuff out, like, you know, like, I don't eat meat. And it, and that wasn't, like, that wasn't that big of a deal to give up, um, because I wasn't, it wasn't, like, something I really, you know, got a lot out of. Yeah. Um, but I'm such a hedonist otherwise that, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that if it were something that I really was getting something out of, even if it were detrimental, this is sounding really bad. This is sounding like I need to go talk to someone. Aww. But, <laughs> but, like, he does. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, there's all these great cocktail bars here in New York yeah. City. And, like, I I love a good cocktail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all the health detriments. Yeah, I'm, I'm in no rush to give up. Um, Booze. Like a, a good Manhattan. Mm. I don't think it's a problem, so. Okay. <laughs> That's always the first thing they right, say. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone can write in with um, their recommendations for a therapist. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. I know one I should, you should definitely not go to. <laughs> She only charged five bucks a visit. I should have known then. <laughs> I, <laughs> through I, my insurance. Yeah. Oh, through your insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I was man, like, what a bargain. I'm oh, going to set up like Yeah, a, right. I'm going to be a hobby uh, therapist on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> five bucks a visit. <laughs> I'll sit there with my cocktail and judge people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got a bright future, Alex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so since this is a new year, this episode is going to feature stories about all new things. A new attitude. I got a new attitude. Please tell me you know that song, Alex. I have no idea what you're Are you serious? About. Yeah. You don't know that song by Patti LaBelle? Running hot, running cold. Really? I got a new attitude. All right. No, wait, no, keep singing it. I don't maybe, remember maybe the I'll... lyrics. Somehow the wires uncrossed, the tables were turned. Never knew I had such a lesson to learn. I'm feeling good from my head to my shoes. Know where I'm going and I know what to do. I tidied up my point of view. I got a new attitude. Maybe. I'm in control. I'm <laughs> <of you. laughs> I got love like I never knew. I got a new attitude. So much for that. Uh, all right, so uh, <laughs> there's a story about a new attitude, a new job, and more. God, Alex, I really you're you're a music producer. I thought for sure you would know. That's like a Patti LaBelle classic. 
It's alright. Is it bad if I say, like, I don't, I'm not trying to know who Patty LaBelle was. <laughs> we just lost, like, half of our podcast audience. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, all right. All right, millennial. Yeah, you know all is... these songs from the 70s. I know. I, that doesn't happen to me that often. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you want to hear a story? Let's hear a story. Awesome. First up is Mark Pagan. Mark is a Moth Story Slam winner. He's been on the Story Collider, a whole slew of storytelling shows here in New York City. And he was recently featured on the Risk podcast with an incredible story that you absolutely, absolutely have to hear. This is his story about the unexpected challenges that came up when he decided to take out a new lease or a new attitude on life. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Piper, we're good? Okay. I hope you are after this. Um, so I, I really don't like the expression, you just need to get laid. Um, I feel like when my friends say it, what they're really saying is stop talking about her. <laughs> and I feel like it's just, it doesn't apply to me. Like, I'm sure there are some of you in this room who your friends may say that to you. They may say, you just need to get laid. And you can take that and be like, yeah, I do. And you go and you do just that and you can leave it at the door. You can be very, very relaxed about it. But... If you and I have sex, you're probably going to meet my family. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not casual about it at all. And I, I envy this a lot, people that can do this, because I am a serial monogamist. I am not proud of it. And my friends, a little under two years ago, a bunch of my friends, they were all saying this, because Katie and I had broken up. And we had been together for about three and a half years. And it was one of those relationships in which I had sort of, I had gotten to the point where I was like, I'm ready to do the next thing, and we just weren't in the right place. And when it ended, I was devastated. And so I did that thing that we do when you break up and you take a step back and you're like, I'm gonna change my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break a major pattern here. And so what I did is I took a look and I, I looked, I added up all of the years that I had been in relationships, monogamous relationships, and they had added up to 15 years like a quinceanera of relationships. <laughs> and I was tired, man. I was just tired. And I was like, enough with this. You need to get laid, BS. I just need a break. I need a real break. Because I saw two possibilities here. Either I take that advice, I go and get laid, and I end up in another relationship, and we're just going to be repeating this thing. Or I don't. I don't at all. Like I take a step back. I do my own thing. And I cut out desire from my life which I thought would be really easy. <laughs> so I go with that second option, and the first month is fine because I'm, you know, I'm grieving a relationship. I mean, to be honest, it's basically impotent, so it's not like I had a risk of giving anything to anybody. Second month, a little bit more. Third and fourth month, it was summer in New York City, the most attractive place in the world, and I was dying. <laughs> and it got to the point where I'd be walking down the street, and if I saw even just like a little bit of shoulder blade, I just, I had to divert my eyes, so I would just walk and just look at the sky, and I was bumping into things and just making a fool of myself, and I was like, well, maybe it's a good time to do my other pattern every year and go to the least, least passionate place in New York City, which is Lens Crafters. <laughs> and I, um... I wear hard lenses. I've been, I've, I've been in a longer relationship with hard lenses than anything in my life. I love them, all right? You, you, you don't have to keep 
you don't have to keep buying them. And the thing is, I got astigmatism in my right eye, so I got to go see my doctor once a year, and we got to change up this eye. And so the pattern is, I show up there, we do the first week, and, and, and it takes multiple weeks. He has to order lenses, I have to try them on, wear them for a week, come back in, see what's going on. But I'm, I'm loving this, actually, because it's like a cocoon of asexuality inside there. <laughs> There's no desire, it's just science, it's great. And so I'm having these like non-dates with my doctor. He's like, what's going on, Joe? How's this lens? I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. I can't really read this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, we'll try this one. And the problem is, like, I'm still having to go out in the world. I'm having to go out in the world. And this has been months. Like, I'm building up this tension. So this takes six weeks, this process. I finally get this great lens. It comes in from Rochester, New York, of all places. And I come in from my appointment. And I'm, I'm fucking nailing it. I'm getting that bottom line every single time, like F, G. T, U, V, V, give me another one. He's like, I think we've got a winner. I was like, oh, we got a winner here. He's like, all right, all right. He goes, great, great. All right, you're good to go. We'll set up an appointment for sometime next year. He goes, there's just one more thing I need to do. And he, he, I don't know what that's called. He took that mechanism that you look through away from my eyes. And he said, he kneeled down. He goes, look into my eyes. And he got about three inches from my face. And... He took his thumbs and he put his thumbs underneath my eyelids and he just pulled them down. And I was looking in his eyes. And when he put his thumbs on my face, I said, Ugh. <laughs> And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, my fingers must be cold. And I was like, no, 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 don't stop, don't stop. <laughs> I didn't do that. And so he reapplied his, his fingers, his very moisturized fingers to my face. And just everything, all the sound went out in my head. I just kept going, oh, take this in, take this in, take this in. Like I had, I had had handshakes and hugs in, in the amount of time since the breakup, but I hadn't, I hadn't had sex. I hadn't even kissed somebody. I hadn't had somebody look into my eyes and put their hands on my face. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I said to myself, oh my God, I need to get laid. <laughs> so I saw two options here. Option one, once the fingers are released from my face, I leave and I just take that moment for what it is, you know, and uh, try and break my pattern. Option two, there's a very chiseled, unshaven face, three inches from mine, very young, olive-skinned man. What if I just got a little bit closer and we locked lips? Like, what would he say? <laughs> would he be like, I'm sorry, I'm a doctor, I can't do this? Or would he be like, oh, let me just turn off the lights? And all of a sudden, Lens Crafters just turns into a bordello. <laughs> Now, like, to be honest, I've never, I've never been with a man before, and I thought about the next steps, like, all right, well, what if, uh, maybe that's the change that I need? And then, <laughs> and then I can, you know, I'll call home. I'll have to make that phone call home. And my mom's a pretty open woman, you know? She's a pretty open woman. So I don't think she would be shocked about that, but I know that her next response would be like, did you say he's a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yeah, 
I'm dating a doctor. And then it's me and Dr. Raj, you know? And I can finally afford couches from like Pier One and stuff. And we get together over dinner and order good bottles of wine. And I'd be like, tell me more about my eyes. And he's like, you're a very rare case, Mark. I'm like, I know, I know. And he can say things like, you know, I think you were meant to be a doctor. And I can say, I, I know, I think so too. But I don't want anything from Pier 1 Imports, and I don't want to be a doctor. And unfortunately, I, 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 he's handsome, but I don't want to be with Dr. Raj. And so I do neither of those two things. I do leave after a long, awkward silence. <laughs> and it's not overnight, but it's sometime over the next few weeks. I get online, start dating, and I do get laid. And I do get in a relationship. <laughs> And so there, you know, I don't know what to say here. Like, there are things that I do really well. There are things that I haven't broken yet in terms of patterns. But, like, maybe that's just not who I am. Maybe it's not that big a deal. But I will say this. I'm thinking about trying soft lenses. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I recently got my eyes checked at Lens Crafters, and I couldn't help but think of Mark. When the technician touched my eyes, I did not have that reaction. But I'm glad that Mark did. You can find Mark on Twitter at TheMarkPagan. That's P-A-G-A-N. And you can sign up for his funny and very entertaining newsletter at MarkPagan.com. Okay. In October, we did our second annual Yom's the Word, which featured all Jewish storytellers. And in November, we did Shiksas and Goys, which featured storytellers who are not Jewish. On both shows, I did a Yiddish quiz with each of the performers, and this next bit was a funny moment I had with one of the goys, Gastor El Monte. You know some Jews. I'm sure you've heard plenty of Yiddish over your over your lifetime. They're the whole other side of Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> other side. That's true, actually. Yeah. That's true. Um, well, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll I'll give you a little hint. Okay. All right. Um, okay. What is an altacocker? She knows. I feel like y'all setting me up right here. Right? No, no, not really. It just sounds dirty. It's not. Altacocker. Do you want me to use it in a sentence? Please. Or actually, I'd love. You could take one guess, and then I'll I'll use it in a sentence. Altacocker. Okay. Um. So the the backup porn star. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Boom. Nailed it is right. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so the other day, I voted in the middle of the day with a bunch of altacockers. That didn't help me at all. All right. Who, what kind of people um, of a certain age might not be working during the day? Backup porn stars. Exactly. Backup. That's true. That's true. Still works. People that are not working in. in Old people? Old farts. Yeah. Wow. That's just so Old rude, farts y'all. who used to be backup porn stars. So y'all call old people altacockers? Altacockers. Yeah. You can hear some of the other funny Yiddish moments on our other podcast episodes. There are some recent ones with Mark Katz, Jordan Carlos, and some from last year, which had uh, Josh Gondelman, Lynn Bixenspan, and Peter Gross, and so many more. So check those out. All right, now that you've had a little taste of Gastor, let me tell you a little bit about him. 
He is the host and creator of the podcast Stoops to Stages. He's appeared on The Liar Show and recently on This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central. This is his story about the crazy lengths his dad went to to teach him a lesson at his new job. How y'all doing? I got hype on the way here. I saw the address was uh, 158 Bleecker Street. I was like, oh, this is in my hood. This is so not the same Bleecker Street. Um, I'm from East New York, Brooklyn. It's a little different in this neighborhood, right? All get on board with that. Um, when I was 13, I got into a prep school in Queens. It was a real big deal for my dad. Someone was gonna make it from the neighborhood. I was a little more concerned because I'd have to wear polo shirts and khakis every day and ride the J train. I don't know, this is a big deal to y'all. This is real concerning to me. I wore real baggy clothes. This is life-threatening situation for me. <laughs> real nerve-wracking. I told my dad, I was like, yo, Pops, if people see me in these polo shirts every day, I ain't gonna be real tough in my hood. I'm gonna lose my street cred. What can I do, man? And he's like, yo, listen, if you wanna be tough, it got nothing to do with your polos and your khakis. It's gotta do with you, you know, being a man, handling responsibility. You know what you should do? You should get a job, you know? <laughs> Uh, the employment market for 13-year-olds isn't that great. I don't know if you've seen this. So I talked to my dad. He owns a couple buildings. He just opened up this laundromat. So we talked it over with my mom. She was cool with me working for him. Now, the job that I was doing versus the job that we told my mom was real different. <laughs> no. To my mom, my job was to fill up the vending machine every week, you know? Whatever the vending machine make, I could keep. Simple gig. What my job actually was, was to go into the laundromat, collect the cash, and drop it off at the local bank. Because it turns out the laundromats are cash businesses, and you'd have to take out cash every day. This is real dangerous. And my father was like, why should I put my life in danger? I had a perfectly healthy 13-year-old boy here. Put this to use. Now, the job came with a few perks, though, you know? Um, on one, I, I was a pretty grown looking dude, so in order to pull off this charade, my dad thought it was a good idea if I pretended to not be his son. I was just a local worker, vending machine dude. So every time I came in, I would just call him Leo and I could just say what I want, which was amazing to me. This is a superpower for a 13 year old. You know, I've been smacked for cursing in front of my pops, and now, my first day at work, I walked in brave. I was like, hey, yo, what's up, Leo? What you get into this weekend? <laughs> oh, me? Y'all got into some pussy, yo. What's good? <laughs> you know how that go. I'ma get the drink, though. I'll be right back. Loving it. I went downstairs. I rounded up all the cans. Now, the arrangement we made is that downstairs, besides having all the cans of soda, there would also be the cash that I would need to take to the bank. This was the first week of business. I didn't expect a lot of cash. On top of that, I was on an allowance system with my dad, so I've never seen large amounts of money. So I'm thinking $1,000, $2,000. It was 12 grand. In the long, that's the exact reaction. My man just jumped right there. That's exactly what I did downstairs. I was freaking nervous. Now, thankfully, 
you know, school hadn't started in September, but I was I joined the football team. I had met all these white kids in Queens at this prep school. They had taught me about the wonderful world, the cargo pants. <laughs> Never heard of these in East New York. For those of you that don't know, there's a ton of pockets involved. It's amazing, you know? So I'm looking at all this cash. I got a book bag. I got these 18 pockets. I'm divvying this shit up, you know? Putting this all away. And I know my dad is upstairs laughing, you know, because he's got over on me. I come upstairs, he's cracking up. I see him cheesing, because he knows he won this battle. I walk out the door, and I remember the arrangement we made in the house. He said he would get in contact with me to make sure that everything went well. And he would do that using the second benefit of this job. I got a beeper. <laughs> you know, this might not seem like a big deal today. Beepers were amazing. You understand this? I'm still, I, I, I just got a little like chill right now thinking about this shit. You gotta understand, I remember the first week when I got to school and I still had the beep on me. I told my friends, yo, when y'all cut class, make sure y'all beat me. <laughs> and they like, what for, Gas? We ain't got nothing to do. I was like, I want people to know I got shit going on. <laughs> so, we had a talk, you know, the day before my daddy prepped me about what was gonna happen. You know, and he told me, he's like, listen, I want you to know when you first look at that cash, you're gonna be a little nervous. But when you walk outside, at the end of the day, remember, nobody knows you got money on you. Just walk regular. And that should sound cool in your head. But then you actually holding $12,000. You walk out the door, I was a little nervous. Saw this old lady in the walk, I thought she was pressing me. Crossing guards, I wasn't fucking with them either. Everybody, targets. By the second block, though, I'm thinking I'm Jay-Z. I was balling this shit. You start getting used to that money, you know? I bump into my boy Jay. I was like, yo, Jay, what's good? He's like, yo, Gaston, what's going on, man? I'm like, yo, you know how it is, B. I'm running these streets right here, man. Making this walk. I was going to the local Wamu, you know? Yeah. Wamu is his old bank, if y'all don't know. Cool. Just making sure. So he convinces me, he's like, yo, you know what? I'm gonna get a slice real quick. Why don't we get a slice? I was like, yo, let's get it. Sounds like a great idea. What would you do with $12,000? Get pizza, right? Let's get a fucking slice. I go to this pizza spot on Essex. I'm ordering my slice. Jeff orders his slice. I pull out a wad of cash to pay for the slice. Now, I knew I was pulling out the water cash. J Jay didn't know I was pulling out the water cash. Jay got real hype. He's like, oh, shit. Yo, Gaston's doing it. Yo, yo, I'm gonna call all my peoples. Yo, we on, son. We balling. Now, for those of you that don't know, as an adult, People ask you why you go to bars. It's because it's a cool feeling. You get to feel cool. You in the in crowd. But buying out the bars as an adult is fucking expensive. I got to experience that as a 13-year-old at a pizzeria. <laughs> you hoos and slices is on me. I got this. All that, B. Don't worry about it, Python. I got it, my dope. I was buying out everything. I'm chilling there. Half hour in, the crew's eating pizza. 
popping snapples like it's nothing. I knew all the facts. And I get the beat. Now I'm looking real baller. Y'all hold up, B, I gotta take this. I see the number, it's my dad from the laundromat. So I call him back. I'm like, yo, what's going on? He's like, yo, how'd that deposit go? I'm like, man, I get to that, my G. And he's like, you know you're not at the laundromat right now, right? I'm your father right now. Second of all, I know I told you nobody knows you have $12,000, but you actually have $12,000. I need you to go deposit that shit. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get to that. And I hang up the phone on my pops. All right, up, dog life. I chill out for another half hour. I peace out to my boys, you know. Stuff of legends right here. I walk out the pizzeria. Block into my walk under the J train. Some dude stopped me. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're like, yo, what's up, my dude? And I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing, man. Just, you know, doing my thing, whatever. They're like, nah, nah. We heard you was doing your thing. We trying to do our thing. And then from there, it didn't go too smooth for me. You know, I got jumped. Six dudes. Now, thankfully, once again, shout out to my white folks at prep. They only got to one of my pockets. <laughs> Beautiful. Still, I lost $1,000. $1,000. Freaking midday on a Saturday, I lost a G. I don't know what the hell to do. I run back to the pizzeria. Jeff had already left. I call him up like, yo, Jay, yo, what the hell am I going to do? I lost $1,000. I got robbed, man. I need to make this deposit. My dad's going, no. He's like, oh, that's easy, Gaston. We going to rob somebody. I'm like, Jeff, I never robbed nobody in my life. We got to come up with a better plan. He's like, Gaston, you're 13 years old and you're filling up a vending machine for your pops. There's no other plan. So we decided, you know, to rob the local crack dealers on Jerome Street. So we go back over to Jerome. Now, for those of you that seen The Wire, it's pretty realistic, you know? I give you a reenactment of how the Jerome Street transactions worked. First corner, you got this dude, give him a pound. A part of me, I mean, translate. There's a gentleman on the corner. I will shake his hand. While shaking his hand, I will do a transfer of cash. You know, he will then proceed to walk halfway down the block, deposit said cash in a can, make a loud noise when depositing the can. This will let the last gentleman know to hand off some stuff to this gentleman walking by. Smooth plan, it works out well. The problem was is that there's now a gap, right? Once that gentleman deposits the cash, he's walking down the block, you got a decent amount of time, about 50 feet's worth of time to go to that can. So me and Jeff decided to rob the can, you know? So we, t we, we, we take my dad's car, Jeff and I, Dominican, we've been driving since we were nine. <laughs> works out well. Get the ski mask on, starter hats. We drive right by grab the bag, uh, knock over the can, grab the bag and get in the car and drive off. Dudes are yelling, I see them pull out burners, we turn the corner, we make it out safe, we good. Go straight to the Wamu. <laughs> now 
make the most gangster deposit ever. Walk in, 11K out of cargo pants, $1,000 out of this Jansport bag I stole from this can, still wearing a ski mask. Cobb looks at me a little suspicious. I explain the situation. You know, I'm just making a deposit for my friendly local business. He doesn't really believe me too well. 13-year-olds don't have IDs. Jeff is shouting out, nah, he go to a prep school, he cool. Like, that's my cosign, that shit's gonna work. And that shit worked. That's just crazy. I got home, I'm feeling good, I pulled this shit off. My dad comes home later on and he's like, so Gaston, how'd that deposit go? I'm like, yeah, everything went smooth, Pop, everything's good, the money's in the bank. He's like, nah, for real, how'd the deposit go? I'm like, Pops, everything went fine. And he's like, yo, seriously, you don't gotta bullshit me. Those are my boys to jump you. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Don't be fucking with my money. But where's the rest of the cash so I can make this deposit? I was like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You got the G? He's like, yeah, here. And he gives me the $1,000 to go make the rest of this deposit that I've already made. He's laughing, enjoying this shit. He calls his boys, yeah, I fucked him up. But he learned this lesson. Meanwhile, I'm calling Jeff. I'm like, yo, Jeff, yo, we got a problem. He's <laughs> like, what you mean? He's like, yo, those were my dad's dudes. They robbed me for the $1,000. I ain't need the $1,000. So he's like, so we got $1,000? <laughs> I'm like, no, Jeff, we have angry crack dealers. <laughs> what are we going to do? So we came up with the bright idea of doing what I like to call a reverse drive-by. <laughs> Put the ski mask back on. We stole my dad's car again. We drove by Jerome Street. Right at the corner, I rolled down the window. I looked at the dude, I threw out the Jansport. My bad, yo! and we drove the fuck off. I'm feeling good. Got away with two miracles today. It's just amazing. I go back to the laundromat next week to make my, my, my rounds, cracking jokes with Leo, kicking it. I go downstairs. Now, the third part of this arrangement is that there'd be a separate envelope with my cash from last week's profits from the machine, and I see there's nothing there. So I go upstairs, I'm like, yo, Leo, um, where's that, uh, that, that other set of cash, the one that I'm supposed to get? He's like, oh, you mean the one that I need to pay back the drug dealers that you robbed? So it turns out the reason my dad had $12,000 in cash the first week of a laundromat is because he was a local loan shark. And he's pretty cool with a lot of people that do unsavory business, crack dealers included. So my dad pulls me aside, he's like, listen, I don't care if you did something stupid. If you're gonna do something stupid, you know, there's a few things you gotta learn. One, don't rob local, rob local crack dealers. They tend to be pretty big on revenge. I don't know if you've seen movies before. <laughs> Two, if you're gonna rob local crack dealers and you're the son of the local loan shark, <laughs> don't rob them in the car that I make deposits in. <laughs> 
So it was a lesson learned, hard lesson, 13 years old. <laughs> I get it. Oh now, I'd like to think I've turned out to be a decent person. I worked hard. It was a minor mistake in my youth. I'm a better person now. I got a regular gig. We own some properties together. We work hard together, you know. Now, when um, I was uh, 26, 27 now, I'm, I'm married, I got two kids, and I'm looking to buy my first home for my wife and kids. Um, I'm, I'm shopping, I got some money saved, but it's not quite enough for what I want to do. And I'm explaining this to my dad, and he's like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, I found a property I like, but the deposit is too much for what I need. The next day, he comes to my house, and he shows me a checking account with $80,000 under my name. And I'm like, what's this? He's like, well, I take a lot of pride in the way that you've turned out as a man. And in order to raise you, just like raising anyone else, there's a certain amount of work that goes into that. And it, it costs me time, but also it costs me money. So this is the dollar value of every freaking mistake that I've had to fix for you. Every time you did something wrong, I put the same amount of cash that it cost me to fix it in this bank account. $83,200. <laughs> That was my gift. That was my down payment on my first house. You know, now we own, I own two houses. I own two houses with him as well, all because of this moment. So when people ask me why I still live in East New York with two kids, you know, when I, I should be thinking about doing better for them, it's because I know all it takes is a little hard work to raise a good kid in East New York and a spare $80,000. <laughs> Thank you. That was Gastor El Monte. You can find Gastor on Twitter and Instagram at Gastor El Monte. Okay, so the live show is on hiatus for the next few months, so we will be cranking out more podcast episodes, including some of the ones that we have stored in the vault. I'm talking about some stories that go back four and five years, so be sure to tune in. We'll also be sharing some fun content on our ice cream social media, so be sure to follow all the fun on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat and Facebook, of course, at Yum's The Word Show. Also, our next live show is April 12th at Le Poisson Rouge. We've got the one, the only, Gary Vaynerchuk on the show, who is a social media giant and best-selling author of books like Crush It and Ask Gary V. Plus, we've got Aparna Nancherla, who was recently featured on A Prairie Home Companion, Inside Amy Schumer, and she opened for Tig Notaro. And not only that, she was also featured on our very first episode of this podcast, which sounds markedly and hilariously different. We've gotten better over the age, haven't we, Alex? 29 episodes this is? Yeah! That's a, that's a lot of episodes. It's a good accomplishment. I'm very proud of us. Doing good. Yeah. It's, it's, that first episode is like so completely different from where we've come, from yeah. where we are now. Tickets are not on sale for that show yet, but I can tell you that it will sell out fast so follow us on social at yums the word show to find out as soon as they are available also if you like what you hear please let us know by giving us a quick rating and review on itunes it helps let others know about our podcast thanks and finally if you have any favorite stories you've heard at our live show that you'd like to hear on the podcast or if you have any suggestions of things you'd like to hear more of please let us know you can message us on any of the social media platforms at yums the word show the stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who wrote some of the music. And the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Matt Fiddler, Michael Cedar, Danny Ortiz, 
Megan Deneen, Carly Patron, Katie Riley, and of course, Morgan. I'm Robin Gelfenbein. Thanks for listening. Hope you get a piece. Happy New Year. And until next time. I tidied up my point of view. I got a new attitude. Maybe. Yum's the word.